This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go, business storytellers. Hey, how's everyone doing? Today we want to talk about how do we build a rapport in storytelling? Why does the rapport matter? How do we do it? And we're going to focus on the spoken word today. Like what I'm doing right here. This is the spoken word. Sometimes I write an article for print, for digital, you name it. But we're not going to focus on that today because I've heard that video and podcasting and live streaming and get this, talking to people face to face are the new things. Or maybe they're the old things. I don't know. But they're still out there. We still have to build rapport the good old-fashioned way. So today I'm joined by Laura Lewis-Barr. She transforms interviews and other public speaking using storytelling and executive presence coaching. So let's get her on the show here. Laura, welcome. Looking forward to our chat. Thank you, Christoph. There's a (laughs) I'll get it. You got it. (laughs) You even had the... (laughs) <laughs> whatever you call it, jazz fingers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's not the right term. Laura, tell us about your background in storytelling and, and why the focus on verbal communication. My background is in the theater. And I taught for many years theater, and then I went into corporate training and found that storytelling was sort of my sweet spot. I had been a writer, a playwright, and I was just immersed in story all the time in my life. Actually, ever since I was a kid, I was putting on little plays. And so story and the arc of the story and what makes a story compelling, I started to coach business leaders on this and realized that business leaders... Uh, most of us actually are trained to think at the 40,000 feet level. We're trained to be abstract thinkers, which is the opposite of great storytelling. Great storytelling is telling the micro, the individual moment, and that's where we connect. I, I love your intro where you said about how it's the old, but It is so revolutionary now to have a moment with someone live or even online, but talking. So that's a little bit about my background. I could talk about mirror neurons next, (laughs) which is what I want to tell Uh, you about. It's interesting, the, the background in theater, too, because, you know, as I've said for many times, I'm not necessarily a fiction content writer or fiction content creator of any kind. Uh, even though I do enjoy a, a fiction book here and there. But but even when you do business storytelling, true storytelling, authentic, whatever you want to call it, you know, it is there is a certain level of a performance, right? Because you want to draw people in. 
you want people to pay attention. You want people to keep paying attention. Somebody the other day said that every six minutes you have to to get people's attention again. And I'm thinking six minutes seems like a long time. Um, I thought it was like six seconds. You know, every six seconds you have to do something um, to, to engage them. But how much of telling your story, getting people to buy in, um, getting people to pay attention, whether that's internal or external, is a performance. Like you have to make it fun, interesting, right? You can't just, you know, read the script to me at this kind of pace. Great question. I think authenticity is really the key thing. And performance might suggest a lack of authenticity, but really when I coach people, I'm coaching them to come out as their true vigorous self. Uh, But the key to storytelling as performance, I think, is that we have to practice our stories. We think just because they're ours, we're just going to tell them beautifully and perfectly. And in that way, I think you're so right that it is in a sense a performance because I have worked on these stories. I know what's important to include and what I can leave out. I know what the the high point or the punchline is. And so it's an art. Storytelling is an art. So it's a performance and we need to practice. And even business people, busy people can carve out a moment to practice because it's going to pay off huge in their connecting. Yeah, in, interesting. And what what about the the um, the the repetition? The importance of repetition. It seems to me, especially executives, especially anybody who's trying to drive change. I'll give you an example. When I wrote "Going Live," live stream your podcast to reach more people. I was on I don't know thirty podcasts maybe, and every conversation was slightly different, right? Because people asked different questions. You you thought about something else, whatever. But at the end of the day, they were all the same conversation. And it's a little tiring as much as I love podcasting, as much as I love going live. But talking about that over and over and over, it does get old, right? So how how important is the repetition and how do people even um, stick with it? Not to get bored because they're going to have to repeat themselves, right? Or am I just thinking that incorrectly? I think for the people that I uh, know and study, most of us only have a few ideas to share with the world. (laughs) And so we're going to be repeating them. And hopefully we love the ideas that we have to share with the world. And I know that's a key part of engaging with others and and they feel our passion for our ideas. But um, I'm losing the initial question that you asked me about repetition. I, mean, <laughs> I had a great you answer, answer too. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm breaking my own rules. Only ask one question at a time, but uh, I'm so excited. So um, I think you kind of answered it because repetition matters, right? Because like not yeah. everybody's going to hear you. And here's the other thing. Even if people hear you, they might not understand you because I say things all the time and they play it back. And I'm like, that is not what I said at all. Um, And that's also not what I meant, but playing back the video, like that's not what I said. So how, um, how do people, um, you know, I mean, that's important, right? The repetition, obviously. 
Right. The old rule of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them is super important in public speaking because listening is really hard. We're all in our own heads. I started writing notes as you were talking so that I I could listen better and uh, remember what, what you're asking me. I think the key thing is to simplify our message. And that is so hard. That takes a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Uh, But once I, so I, I like to tell my clients that a lot of times when we're offering our messages, it's like throwing an egg at you, some milk at you, some flour at you and expecting you to make the cake. But I need to make the cake. I need to work on my message. So it's so clear and so yummy that when I give it to you, you can just take it and eat it, not have to work so hard. So I think even our personal stories require that work, but there's nothing like it. There's nothing like delivering a high-powered, entertaining story that delivers a message. And once we start to create these, we have them. They're like jewels in our pocket, and we're able to use them over and over and over again. We have to make the cake for our audience. I love it because um, I don't bake very well myself. I need the story (laughs) served to me. So the other thing, uh, what I found, you know, when I used to um, get out of the house more and travel more, and I know that's starting to pick up again here, but... Um, for people, you know, post-COVID, I guess, um, you know, I always found building um, connection points with the audience was helpful, right? So I would say, for example, which I think most marketers on some level can always relate to, I would say, Laura, what do you do when you are in approval hell? Do you know what approval hell is? And the whole room would go, Yes, of course, we know what approval hell is, right? Um, Everybody has experienced that at some point. So I'm making a connection immediately. I know what I'm talking about. You can relate to me because you probably have been in approval hell. What other tips do you have for people that are speaking publicly um, to build that rapport? What, What other techniques have you seen work? Well, the main one fits right in with what you were saying, which is give up perfection. It's it's not about perfection. We all think we have to be this shiny object that is gleaming and perfect, but really it is the flubs. It is the hiccups that make us human, and what makes us human is what makes us connect. And I know I've learned that myself when I worked on bringing in that part of me that I didn't want the audience to see, just saying, yeah, I'm going to show up all of me, the klutz and the forgetful one. And that's what people want. That's what we're all hungry for. And that's why we go to the theater and the movies and read novels. We want to connect with human to human. And public speakers want to do that too. We need to do that. And I do want to mention mirror neurons for a moment because mm-hmm. all those facial expressions that we're doing, I'm loving yours, Christoph. You've got some really fun ones. The audience unconsciously, automatically is connecting to us via these mirror neurons, which is why 
not having a face on a screen is so important. Not speaking without, without an image. It's so hard because we're used to, and I think masks have been a issue regarding our ability to connect with each other in, in terms of reading all these expressions and connecting with them. Yeah, don't get me started on masks, and I'm not even talking about the political uh, things sure. around that. But but you know, when I was I, w- I was walking through the hospital during the the um, pandemic, and um, you know how in Iowa at least, you know, people smile at each other when they walk by, and mm. and you can't do that with a mask on. Um, so there was actually some nurses. I, I was assuming there were nurses. Could have been a doctor. I don't I don't know. But somebody in scrubs. And, you know, they would just go like this, like with their eyebrows, you know, like that was their <laughs> smile now because they couldn't do it. Now, Laura, I don't know if this was a compliment or what that was, but you said <laughs> um, you have some fun facial expressions. Now, explain that to me. What does that even mean? Oh, like- a total compliment. So early on when I was watching you, yeah. you were kind of emphasizing ideas with facial expressions. Okay. And that's... Yummy. That's people like that. People connect with that. Okay. I will use that quote, Christoph's <laughs> yummy facial expressions on the business storytelling yeah. show. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, when Seth Godin was on the show, he talked about how perfectionism is holding creer- creativity back. Um, so, you know, honestly, ship the work, get it done and move forward. But, you know... When you speak, when you're trying to build rapport, like what would perfection even look like? I mean, if I'm thinking about us talking, we're having a conversation. We're live on the air. It's going to go to the podcast channels. It's going to go to TV. Like, I mean, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much more, but but how much better can a conversation be? Like, why do people get so hung up in perfectionism? Oh, wow. Um, Big question. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't met anyone who isn't hung up on perfectionism. I I think it's part of the airbrushed culture we live in, where we tend to see final products and think that that's what we have to be all the time. So when I coach people in interviewing for jobs or any kind of public speaking, I'm reminding them that when they forget, when they misspeak, it's okay. We're not, in writing, we have a higher level of expectation around perfection because we can rewrite. But this live event is singular for the moment and things get, go wrong. We make little hiccups. Uh, So I don't know, for myself, it was a real shift of, and I still have to work on making that shift of embracing the mistake, but I've noticed that when I'm comfortable with my own mistake, the audience is too, and they love it. It's my discomfort. It's my, oh no, that the audience picks up on because we pick up on each other's emotions constantly. So Mm. if I'm relaxed, they're relaxed, we're having fun. If I'm in te- if I'm too tense, then they don't know why they don't like me, but they're they're not comfortable. Yeah, and it's so interesting. So I think what I um, I think the way I look about uh, look at that, how you just described perfectionism. So 
I just keep going and and try different things when it comes to the live stream. Let's stick with the live stream. Early on, I just had an iPhone, period. That's it, right? Had a little bitty light. Today, we're not going to turn around the camera, but I'm just going to describe it to you. I got a big light over here shining on my face. I got a big light over there shining on my face. I got two lights on the side that are shining up, so they're filling the room with air, uh, with wow. light. And then I got two smaller lights over there, which I can probably show you relatively quickly. Watch. Wow. They are, you know, they're lighting up the thing behind mm, me. Nice. And, you know, so I've, I've built how I want this to work over time, but not having it didn't stop me from starting it. And you know what I'm saying? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, the the metaphor of the first draft, you know, you got to get the first draft out. And I guess Seth Grodin said that too. And uh, yeah, you've got to just put yourself out there. I guess that's the, the whole issue of trying. And I know for myself, I learn through failure, which is why I'm so brilliant. I'm not arguing with you. Um, <laughs> so um, absolutely. So that's so the other thing I was going to mention on that is, so I got this physical backdrop behind me. If the physical backdrop, if the cats were running into it right now and knocking <laughs> it over, we're not going to stop, right? So that's, nice. I think, my definition of how I don't get hung up on perfectionism. We just go, oh, my goodness, these cats are out of control, blah, blah, blah. And we'll keep going forward. We're not going to go, oh, sorry, we have to reschedule the um, the, the live stream. Now, when you coach people, what is the difference that you focus on when it's one-on-one versus too many? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I make some of the same jokes if I'm talking to you or if I'm talking to 600 people in the room, um, but the delivery is slightly different, right? When you have a conversation as opposed to one too many. I think for me, the biggest difference lately is that one-on-one online is wonderful. I really enjoy it. When I get a bunch of people online, everything changes. So in a live room, when I start telling a story, it's great. And I, I know how to be engaging and to feel their interest. But online, when I have more than one person, when I have a group of people, uh, it feels like they're, it's harder. I, I just find it harder. I know back in the day when I was teaching uh, different classes online on WebEx, WebEx has this function where you can tell when someone's checking their email while you're talking. And every time I launched into a story during one of my training sessions, I would notice they'd all go check their email. And I was like, oh, no, storytelling online is a little bit different in a group, or that's been my experience. I think what's different about online, too, is especially like if I think about writing, too, you know, as a writer, it hurts me to admit it, but a lot of people, they don't read my content. They just skim my content, right? So as you said earlier, you, you got a typo somewhere. Somebody might catch it, but the majority of people won't because they're not reading word for word anyways. And I think the same is true when it comes to online, because when you talk to a group online, as you said, you know, I mean, think about it this way. I got three monitors over here. There's an iPad, there's a phone. I mean, the opportunity to be distracted is there for sure. Um, so 
is it is it the same model when it comes to presenting online that you just have to kind of get people's attention, you know, change your voice like you would do? Um, or, or how do you get people to come back in and not check their email? Yeah, what I've discovered in my work is that my online model is different. My live model is lots of storytelling. My online model is asking questions, really good, open-ended, yummy, juicy questions that um, engage them. And ask a question constantly, have them engage on the screen. And that really feels like the online way of being. And it's a great um, method anyway to use questions as an integrating of people with content. But I found that that has to be the switch for me. I have... um, Go ahead. You have a what? I had a story I wanted to tell you based on your um, cats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you're talking about your cats, and I, I, I imagine what you're talking about, and it's hilarious. Many years ago, I was teaching. I was terrified of public speaking, and I was in a, a drama program. I was getting my master's, and but I was terrified, and I was teaching a class on Charlie Chaplin. And I was standing on – I was in an auditorium. I was a TA, and I had all of these – undergraduates sitting under me in the audience. I'm on the stage. I'm talking about Chaplin, an hour and a half maybe. Somewhere halfway through, I look down into the audience and there's a woman who looks up to me and she points at her face. And I look down at my hands and they are covered in marker because I've been playing with a marker in my hands in my nervousness unconsciously. So I am horrified and just somehow stumble through the rest of the presentation and sort of a PTSD freak out. I leave the auditorium and don't I don't talk to my professor. I'm humiliated. And then years later, I think about Charlie Chaplin. And I think about how perfect what I had done was. And this was a big moment for me of, in, of switching gears because I realized that if I had just said, hey, this is a chaplain shtick, this is what the guy did, he constantly did these kind of funny things, uh, then that would have been a brilliant moment. Just like if your cats knocked down your thing, you could have had real fun with what that's about and the breaking down of the illusion and all of that to use what's happening in the space in the moment is what makes great public speaking. And I finally got it uh, years later. Sorry, I missed that opportunity, but I've had plenty of others. Sometimes it takes a time to think about it. And I mean, certainly I've, I've realized that as well. Um, so, but drawing people in and and asking questions and getting them to participate that's not just a bad idea for online presenting i mean i've been trying to do that for for you know in person too um i think the one thing that we'll see if you agree or disagree with this i'd be interested to hear your perspective when you want people to participate in a you know everybody's in the same room setting 
you have to give people an option. It drives me crazy when I'm in a, at a conference and they go, everybody break up in a group and talk about this one thing that you don't really want to talk about. Like, do you know what I mean? Like some people want to participate one way. Some people want to listen. I'm a listener and um, I like to move while I'm listening, right? So it drives me crazy if I just have to sit down. That's why I like online presentations because if I'm watching you present, I can go hop on my treadmill, right? Or I can go on a walk, depending on what you're talking about, if I need ah. to look at your PowerPoint. But is that important to give people the option to participate at different levels? Or do we just expect everybody to go get out the, the uh, post-it notes and scribble their wonderful ideas on there? <laughs> yeah. So in all of my corporate training life, first of all, movement, I think, is fabulous. And I think having a big enough space so that you can invite people to move around. I like exercises where you ask people to form a continuum about an answer to a question. Yes, here, no, here, in the middle, here. Um, I, I think for myself, I often invite people to have an individual conversation with the person next to them about the topic we're talking about. The person next to you, um, talk about your experience with storytelling in your life or something very open-ended. And yeah. I have found most people really, introverts adore that because I'm not asking them to speak for the group, to the group. And it's a great warm-up. Instead of me asking a group a question, nobody responds, giving them a chance to talk to each yeah. other individually. Yeah, I'm also a fan of the whole one-on-one, -on -one, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, because even if you have a group, five to six people, there's always somebody that dominates the group and, you know, they they like it one way or another and it's their way or the highway. Uh, of course, you know, you have your um, public speaking workshop that you take around the country and maybe the world. Um, tell people, how do they reach out to you and who who should reach out to you in the last 20 seconds here, if you can summarize oh, that yay. quickly yeah, I have uh, public speaking classes. My next one in Chicago is June 2nd and 3rd. And I'm constant. Oh, training for breakthroughs is my site. Mm -hmm. Just type that in training number four breakthroughs.com. And then you'll find me there. I, I'm coaching job seekers all the time online. That's super fun. So those are two, two things I'm doing. Training for breakthroughs is the company. Ben Fantastic, especially for job seekers. We don't have time to dive into this, but I find it very interesting. Job seekers, they need to uh, have their story aligned with what the company is actually trying to do and, and where their head is currently. Um, Laura, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you um, sharing all these insightful tips. Thank you. It's been great. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.